Sean Guyton. I'm the lead pastor at Trailside Church. Thanks for stopping by. I hope that by the end of this message, you feel encouraged, that you feel closer to Christ than you ever did before, and that through its message, you will want to be more like Jesus every single day. Enjoy the message, and thanks for stopping by. How are we? Good. good, good. My name is Sean. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Trailside. I'm pumped uh, to be here. I, I, I just kind of want to almost just stop and just have worship again. Did anyone else? Anybody else with me on that? Woo! Did a great day. Man, I was um, talking to, to Brooke because that's what you do to people. And um, she said, man, they're like on point today. And I said, I'm telling you what, we, we don't deserve that, man. Like, if, if they, we are the hidden gem. Um, of worship, I think, in Greenville County. It's just, and that's not even the whole band. Like, the, all of the people um, that work so hard make up a part of our band. I just think it's amazing. I'm kind of without words. Hey, um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm actually going to ask our interns to come up. I want to introduce you to them, uh, and I'll tell their story real, real quick, and then we'll get right into where we're talking this morning. Let me pray, and uh, we'll get started. Father, you're good. Thank you so much for today. Uh, thank you for your son that you uh, saw, even in the beginnings, the foundations of the earth, that uh, there was a need for a plan for us to know you and to love you and to belong to you, not because we needed it, but because you love us. And so I pray as we get into the season to talk about that today, that you would be here and present with us um, and that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We love you. We thank you. And to your name, we pray. Interns, come on up. So uh, some of you guys may not know this because we haven't just told you, but you've probably seen these four college students run around like crazy. If you haven't, I want you to know that uh, these guys all this summer contacted us and have been answers to prayer. They've been here pretty much every Friday setting everything up that you see. Uh, they're here early Sunday morning, and then I bother them again Sunday night. They've been putting posters up that are getting torn down all around town. They've got uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. I know you guys have seen Hannah and Aiden um, as they've been uh, worshiping and leading us here. And Mikey's actually hosted a couple times. Mikey's preaching in January, which is going to be so awesome i just you guys don't understand what what is in this this guy right here um and jordan yep that's his name and um and jordan as well jordan uh is an incredible guy who loves jesus and is going to be a missionary one day and we're super excited about that but um i want to just let you know who they are really quick so when you see them if you get a chance to love them to just uh, give them a high five or, you know, take them out to lunch, do that, because they're awesome, and I don't love them near enough as I need to. Uh, but this is Mikey Smith in North Greenville. Um, yeah, studying late. No, not ladies, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know, we had, that's, yeah, we had to go there, sorry. No, Mikey is going to be a, a, a church planner one day, and he actually called me in the middle of the summer and said, hey, uh, can I come and intern for four years? And I said, I, I can't pay you. And he said, that's fine. I said, absolutely. We'll see you as soon as you can be here. Um, and uh, Mikey is from the Monk's Corner area where I spent some time uh, crying a lot, as well as Jordan Lee. Uh, Jordan is also a freshman and Mikey's roommate uh, at North Greenville College. And Jordan uh, is one of the nicest guys ever. It is super strong. And if you need something done, like a jar opened or anything like that, uh, Jordan is your man. Uh, Hannah Arada, who you've probably seen. Hannah has been here since like week two. Since week two, when we were back in the CrossFit gym where it was 56 degrees when we launched. Anybody remember those days? Yeah. Yeah, I remember coming in on a pre-launch the week before and everybody had huge coats on. It was 53 degrees inside and I thought, uh-oh, we're done. But we're not. Here we are. So uh, Hannah is a senior at Furman. 
Um, and y'all, she can sing, right? I mean, for real. Yeah, yeah you can love her a little bit, for sure. Yeah. We need to make sure she knows she can sing, because not all of you interns can. Um, just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding Mikey. Um, no, but Hannah is a senior at Furman, and she's incredible, and we love her so much. And she's my wife's favorite intern, for being honest. And then, um, oh, like that's a surprise. Aiden Toomey, at the very end there. Aiden, uh, yeah, Aiden plays everything. Uh, if you have any musical question and you can't find Brandon, Aiden is a great substitute. Uh, he just knows everything, can play anything with strings, really incredible guy. But Aiden was in my youth group. Uh, I've known Aiden since he was 15, 14. Um, and my favorite fun fact about Aiden is he used to wear a suit every day. So uh, yeah, if he watched The Office, just like Michael Scott, that's right. So um, no, but Aiden is a, a great guy and uh, is just um, got an incredible heart and something that Aiden would never tell you that I'm going to tell you. Uh, Aiden had an opportunity to go uh, to a college in New York, had an opportunity to go to USC Honors College, but felt so called to be here at this church and with his family that he's actually going to North Greenville next year um, just to be a part of what's happening here. His heart is absolutely beautiful, and he's really intelligent, and if you have a theological question, that's your man. So um, go to him. Don't bother me. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but I just want to say thank you. We love you guys, and if you see them, uh, as soon as service is over, they're going to be ripping everything down, so just go give them a pat on the back, and then they'll probably run around like crazy and say thanks so much, and you'll feel like they don't love you, but they do, I promise. Uh, but they're a huge, huge advantage for this church. So I wanted to say thanks. Can we give them a round of applause? Thank you so much. You're welcome. Please. Oh, go. <laughs> um, so I don't I'm encouraging, I promise. No. Um, they just have been working their butts off since literally August. And uh, we haven't had a chance to get them up here, and, and I want one of you guys to see them and know how much we appreciate them. Um, so, uh, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 1 this morning, which is moderately easy to find, about three-fourths of the way through. It's the first gospel, first verse of the New Testament, so we're going to start today. But, um, it is the Christmas season. Can you guys believe it's already December? Does that blow anyone's mind? Yeah. I feel like I say it every year. There's two things I, I love about December. It's here quickly, and that means this year's almost over. Because I feel like every year we're always like, oh, boy, it's a tough year. The next one's going to be different, right? I'm ready for this to be over. But here we are in December. And as you know, the American way to start off our good Christmas season is Black Friday shopping, right? Yeah. Who's, who's done already? Three of us. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, as I said last week, got to go Black Friday shopping. Uh, it's, it's incredibly fun. I love it. But I don't love it for the sales or the deals. I love it because I get to people watch. Anybody else enjoy people watching? Like just, just seeing the depravity of man mixed with like the, the frustration of sales and that guy got the TV you wanted and then everybody's angry. Like that just shows me Jesus and the reason for the season a lot. So, um, yeah, no, I love going there. Like I said last week, you know, we saw a like, 75-year-old woman get arrested at Target. And, um, it's true, yeah. Go listen to the sermon last week. It was real. Um, we, I saw people fighting over uh, clothes and um, things that were in Walmart. Because if you really want to see what's up, go to Walmart on Black Friday. Uh, I, I've never seen it, but it looked like there were about 60 people all around these big blocks of clothes. And it literally looked like there were just confetti cannons going off. Just people, like, ripping through stuff. And I thought, this is what Christmas is about. About. But um, but the backup question then is this, has anyone ever snooped? Do you get those great deals, no mom and dad hooked you up? No one ever snooped? So I made a horrible mistake one day. I'm going to confess something right now to all of you. I'm glad my mom isn't here. 
Sometimes she is, and she would probably yell at me right now. I, I told my brother about this earlier today. He didn't know. But when I was 12, I made a terrible decision. Horrible decision. I snooped. I did. It was, I was excited about Christmas. Now, I was never a kid who, like, you know, you know there's always that one kid down the block who gets, like, a bike with super sweet shocks and 60-inch 60, 60 TVs, like every PlayStation there is. You guys know this kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all know him. We all hate him. It's fine. It's cool. Right. Joking. It's not a good thing. No, but I, I was I was always that kid. Like my parents got us great stuff. You know, we always opened at least one pack of socks. I think that was my mom's way of keeping us humble, right? Um, actually, when I started dating Lane, and I went to her house and opened a stocking from her parents for the first time, and it wasn't full of only oranges and uh, grapes and walnuts and a pair of socks, I, I was blown away. It's like people put presents in stockings. It's amazing. Um, ours were just to keep us humble. I think, right, Chris? That's a fair. Yeah, we always get oranges, apples, some walnuts. Every now and then a toothbrush. Yeah, and a toothbrush. <laughs> Humble stockings. Um, but I, I wanted to go and snoop this one time because I just didn't think it mattered, right? So my younger brother and I, I think I was like 11, like where will mom and dad hide stuff that they know we won't go into? So my brother's 11 years older than me. And you know, when you're like 10, 11 years old, the one thing that your 22-year-old brother wants is you in his room, seeing what's in there, right? So he was working, and we're like, hey, I bet, I bet mom and dad hit all of our stuff in Chris's room. Like, all right, we're going to go. So my brother and I, you know, turned into secret agents. We had our, our music going as we were going through our own theme music, and we opened his closet, and I thought, this is it. We have found it. And sitting on top, on a shelf, was Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey for the Nintendo 64. Yeah, now, my, my 80s kids understand what, what this is about. The Nintendo 64 was the greatest thing ever. And we celebrated because we knew that meant that Chris actually loved us enough to pay for a video game, which is a big deal, right? But also that we were getting a Nintendo 64, and we flipped out. Like, we were pumped, so excited, and like 30 seconds later, we looked at each other, and we're like, well, there goes Christmas. Three and a half weeks left. And I remember those three and a half weeks being horrific. Not because Christmas wasn't great, but because I knew that in a few weeks I was going to open this box with my brother and I was going to have to really act like I didn't know what was going on and I was going to have to feign this excitement. And so the day came, Christmas morning, we're going through presents, I'm telling you guys. I was like opening a present going, oh, like, here we go. I didn't even care what I was getting, you know. I'm like, thanks, Mom, another pack of underwear, socks, it's great. No, a tie, I needed that as a 12-year-old. Because um, I know this Nintendo 64 is coming. So finally, my parents go, here, this is for both of you. And they set this huge box. And my brother and I look at each other. And you know how you can communicate with your siblings? And we said to each other, here we go. This is the time, if you've never acted before, to act now, right? <laughs> Be believable, above all things. Yeah, that's what we, when we were 12, we were really good at deception. It's cool, it's whatever, don't worry about it. Just pastor now. Um, I remember opening this gift, and my parents were so excited to give it to us. And, they were, and then Chris was pumped, and we are like, ha, yay, yeah, yes, yes. My mom looked at me, and she goes, aren't you excited? And I was like, well, here we go. This is where I die. <laughs> and I lied, and I said, yes, absolutely. And we played Nintendo, and it was awesome. But I learned a lesson that day. Never snoop. Because when you know what's coming, it's hard to be excited. Right? And it's interesting here that we're walking into a Christmas season, and we're talking about the birth of a Savior, 
And I think a lot of times when we hit that late November, early December mark, it kind of just becomes another thing, right? Like, it's fun. We sing Christmas carols. There's lights up. Oh, listen, let me tell you what I did for lights this year. I bought one of those projection things that shot lasers. I'm like, done. $18, six minutes, I'm in. I had to go get the mallet out of my garage to hammer the thing in. I was like, too much work. Too much work. Right? But we let the Christmas season kind of become about things that it's not and almost regular for us. Like a thing that happens, a break. And I was thinking about that um, as I was out shopping for Black Friday. And I, you know, threw some stuff in my cart for my kids. And I'm walking around. And I'm seeing these moms with Target carts. that I think they've also gotten like the XL brand of cart. I don't know where they found it, but it's twice as big as ours. Right? And it's full of stuff. Full of stuff. And I'm walking around with Lane and my cousins and my younger brother and his wife. And I'm thinking, I'm having this internal struggle and this battle where I'm going, my goodness, like, these people's carts are full. Right? For their presumably, I have 36 kids. I don't know why they needed that much stuff. And I'm in a consistent battle with myself. Going like, man, are we doing enough? But like, I know we're, we're poor church planners and, you know, like, but, but I could sell a kidney or something. You know, I, is this enough? Like, are, are we actually, are my kids going to be pumped when they get to the Christmas tree? Are they going to look at me and Colin, who's very honest, if you haven't heard me say it before. So you look at me and be like, yeah, Christmas kind of stinks, Dad. I don't know. And I thought, as I was fighting that battle, I thought, maybe, maybe I need to consider the other side of that. How much of this stuff is going to matter in a few months? Like, three months from now, when it's May or April, March, April, and we're doing St. Patrick's Day, how much of this stuff is going to matter? Like, what are we honestly going to remember? What, what, what am I actually telling my children about this season? I noticed in that moment where I was watching other parents, I wasn't considering what we were able to do, or I wasn't considering what our kids needed, and I wasn't considering what my heart was telling me at that moment. That, that maybe the answer for Christmas wasn't to bring a full cart of presents so that my kids loved me a little extra for a couple days and then screamed at me when the batteries weren't there for you know, a controller or something they wanted. Maybe, maybe... The legacy I want to leave for my kids is not one where we scream and fight and you know shoot confetti clothes everywhere and argue over TVs. Maybe it, I need to find a way to balance the fun of Christmas with the reason that actually it occurs. The, the waiting and the consideration of why we actually are even here on a Sunday morning. Why we give our lives to something so big. And so I really felt like the Holy Spirit convicted me and asked me, like, hey, you know, what, what about Trailside is going to be different? How, how are we going to point people toward the expectation of a Savior being born instead of the expectation of a great gift or money or things? That, that messed me up a little bit because I thought, you know, like, listen, we could be a place where you can come and you're going to hear five great steps to a happy marriage, right? And everyone in the church after that five weeks will have a perfect marriage. That's how it works. Uh, you haven't been in church long, right? Okay, no, that was a joke. I don't know if I was clear about that. Yeah. Um, thank you. But my heart actually was moved to dive into this. What does it actually mean for people today, right now, who are going about every day, right now, who are dealing with stress, who have churches throwing moralism at them, or religiosity, 
or trust issues because abuse is all over the news. And unfortunately, we're seeing that again in the midst of a great church. Or, or broken homes or over-sexualized culture. How, how do we pour hope into that? I don't know that that's five great steps to a happy marriage or three keys to loving Jesus more than you or whatever. I think the point is, in this season, we have to get back to understanding what the Messiah's birth actually meant to the people who were expecting of it. Let's break down, okay? This is, I don't know, we'll see how this sits with you guys, but let's break down the idea of what church has to be because of the culture that we're in and talk about what church is meant to and supposed to be and why it matters to people's lives. Can we do that? Because I think that's what is going to make a church like Trailside and other great churches different. We're not worried about being religious. We're worried about fo focusing on Jesus and following him and doing what he says. And so when people ask us to draw hard lines in the sand about things that don't matter, we can instead say, let's be about Jesus and let him change us. So what did the birth of the Messiah actually mean to people who are stuck waiting? What did it mean to Israel of the Old Testament, who was in slavery and walked across a barren Red Sea? What did it mean to prophets who were called to risk their lives to speak boldly to kings? What did the coming Messiah mean to David the king when he was sending someone out to battle on the front lines to die so that he could have a new wife? What did it mean to Joshua the warrior who was terrified and scared but God consistently said, be courageous, push forward? And what did the coming Messiah mean for Moses when he looked and spoke back to God and said, I, I, I don't speak well, I stutter. I'm not, I'm not, how am I supposed to do this thing you ask? What did it actually mean to be waiting on the greatest promise you've ever received? And how do, we, how do we connect our hearts to that? Because if we can do that, then the statement, Jesus is the reason for the season, becomes more than a really cute term that a lot of grandmas wear on sweaters. And if you're a grandma and have sweaters, you're cool. I love you. I'm glad you're here. My mom is a grandma who wears that on a sweater. She's welcome here. But, but what, if, what if we actually got to a point where the power of the birth of Jesus ceased at great sales on a Friday? then could we actually expect the gospel to matter to people today? I don't know. See, churches aren't dying. The people who filled them and were comfortable are. And we need to be a place where that's growing because hope in Jesus goes past cultural barriers and things that we decide should be and shouldn't be. So I want to do two things this morning. One, I want to dive into that hope of a Messiah. What it really meant to people who were ready to receive him and had nothing else but that hope. And then I want to talk about what the lineage of Jesus is going to look like for you and for I this morning. Because it's very, very important. And so as you turn to Matthew 1, that's where we're going to be if you're not already there. I'm going to do what God made all the people in the Old Testament do. You're going to have to wait. Just hold it there for a little while. All right? And you're going to be asking yourself, Sean, you better get there because football's coming and I want to eat. I get it. You're going to hold on for a second. So the question is this then. What does the promise of a Messiah mean today? And all the things you struggle with and all the sin, all the, all the moments where you are having a hard time, what would it mean for all of those things to be redeemed? What would it look like for your marriage to be perfect? What would it look like for your grades to just work? Amen, college students who are getting on exams? What would it look like for broken homes to not be broken? What would it look like for death and disease to not have hold? 
What would the promise of hope actually mean and look like for us? So we do some hard. I'm, oh, I'm going to ask you to come back into the Old Testament with me, okay? It's going to take some brain activity, which I believe all of you are here and capable of doing. I want you to come back to Old Testament time, and that means we're going to have to forget a few things for the moment. Forget about the second coming of Jesus. Forget about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming down. Forget about the cross at Calvary. Forget about Bethlehem. Let's change the idea of what redemption is from the Gospels that we read to the Exodus as God leads people through the Red Sea. Let's change our theology from Paul and his letters in Romans, which I love, and let's get back to Deuteronomy and talk about the law. We have to get ourselves to that point to understand how great a birth of a Savior honestly is. Don't worry, I'm going to bring us back. All right, we're not getting heretical here. I know somebody's going to get on the internet and be like, they talked about not Jesus, it was crazy. All right, I'm going to get there, watch the whole thing. Because here's all the Old Testament Israel would have known, right? Here's all the people God's chosen would have known. They would have known that God created them, right? Because that's what Genesis says. They would have known that God gave them commandments in Deuteronomy 6. They would have known that God is holy. They would have known that sin is serious. And that breaking the law meant that there had to be a sacrifice. And that sacrifices were bloody. Sacrifices weren't fun. Maybe you don't own a farm and have to kill rabbits, but maybe you do. Animal sacrifices weren't clean. They weren't pretty because something had to pay the price. But they also knew that there was a reality coming of hope. They knew that God wasn't going to leave them alone and without. But they didn't know what that was going to look like. They just knew they had to hold on to what they had at the moment. And wait and be patient as God delivered on his promises. Generations and generations and generations and generations died living their whole life without knowing what that hope was. And yet they maintained hope. In fact, one of the, I think, the most powerful pieces of scripture in all of the Bible is Isaiah 53. And it's read a lot on Easter, but I want to read it to us here as we get ready for the Christmas season. Because the people who were struggling and in slavery and encapsulated, unable to move, who were in slavery to Egypt, in slavery to Babylon, having all hope destroyed from them, this is what they held on to. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever a thought. Well, not for God, but for the world. And this is the hope that they had. Who has believed what he has heard from us? This is Isaiah 53. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted of grief. That sounds like a savior so far, right? A king to come rule. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted or cursed. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep we have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall, be, shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and shall bear their iniquity. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Church, when you were Old Testament Israel and you knew, no, knew not what hope was coming, this is what the prophet Isaiah has for you. That there was a hope. That the reason that we celebrate what we celebrate is because God had a plan and gave it to Isaiah and said, this is what you have. That although you struggle now, I'm sending someone to take that for you and to see and deem you righteous in his place. That's what the Old Testament had. They knew that God had promised them hope. That they knew that God had promised them freedom from slavery. By being ruled by those who would oppose and oppress them because kings were proud. But God promises them future hope. He says, I will bring a king to you. And he will crush the serpent's head. I will give you a lord and a son who will take care of all of your iniquity. Who will deliver you in your time of need. And so my next question for you is this, church. If you were writing the story of Isaiah 53, is that how you would write it? If you were writing the story of a king coming to free the world, would it be that he was purposed to be hung and cursed? To be murdered and killed? Innocently? To have done nothing? To ask people oppose him to his face, keep his mouth silent? Would that be the story that you write? Would that be the history? One of the um, greatest pieces of Christian theology, the most scrutinized, is the virgin birth of Jesus. And yet in a few weeks we'll study that and talk about that. But Winston Churchill said a very famous quote that I think appeals to this. Not in the way I think you're going to see it, but... Winston Churchill famously said, history is written by the victors. History is written by the victors. So I ask you this, if Jesus is the victor, and if what we're celebrating in a few weeks is the victor coming, then why would you write it as Jesus is cursed and afflicted and purposed so that God's will would be to crush him? Why would that be how you write his story? And now, all of you who have been type A personalities waiting for Matthew 1 to come to fruition, here we are. All right? Breathe easy. Told you I'd get there. And now this is how 
Matthew 1, says the line of Jesus comes. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, and by Tamar, 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 I can never say that right, sorry. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of da 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 Verse 5, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Anybody remember that story? Bathsheba. And Solomon. And we'll continue to go down to verse 8. And Asaph father of Jehoshaphat. And 9. And Isaiah the father of Jotham. And Jotham of Ahaz. And Ahaz Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. Manasseh the father of Amos. And Amos, Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Janaka, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And we go da, 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 all the way down. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, why would a pastor get up and read the genealogy of Jesus with lots of names that we can't pronounce and people that we've never heard of? Because this, I want to point out some people here for you in the genealogy of the Savior of our King, the Lord of Lords, the host of hosts, the deliverer of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, and the one who we are preparing to celebrate in a few weeks, and why we have things like Christmas. Because this is in who is in his genealogy. Jacob who was a deceiver, who stole blessings from his brother, who deceived his father. Judah, who sold his half-brother into slavery. Tamar, who seduced Judah. Rahab, who was a prostitute and probably owned a brothel. Solomon, who had 300 concubines. And there's a guy named Abijah who, this is what, the, this is what God's word says, in his three-year reign, he committed all the sins of his father and did great evil inside of the Lord. And Jehoram, who killed his brothers with the sword, who was so scared of them and scared of losing his throne that he literally drove swords through all of his brothers so the threat wouldn't exist. Again, this is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. Or Isaiah who has a sacrifice to idols burned his son alive. And the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. So why does that matter? Why does it matter that the genealogy of Jesus includes women, which is super rare and never would have come for someone who wanted to be a king, includes sinners and murderers, deceivers, Enslavers, why would that matter? Because listen, I'm going to be honest with you. If something happens to me and we can get rid of Facebook and all the things that would give me a, a nice line of who I was and what I did, here's what I want you to say about me. Uh, I was, I followed Jesus, I was a loving husband, a great father, and I had incredible six pack abs. All right, that's what I wanted to say. Flush of money, gave everything to everybody, did everything right. That's, that's how I want to rewrite my history, right? Especially the six pack abs. Let's not miss that. <clears throat> But when you're in the Old Testament and all the promises you have for God's, from God is that one day he will deliver you and it's going to be a king who's going to be crushed, who's going to take your iniquity and that God would purpose him to die, to be dismissed, to be cursed, to be opposed. 
to be hung and suffocate to death, that that's who God's promise was, and that he was going to come from a lot of people who were not perfect. He was going to come from prostitutes and brothel owners and murderers and enslavers and deceivers and liars and thieves. If that was the promise, and if any of this was fake, I don't know that that's how I would have written it. See, here's the truth of it. That God's promise to us as we get ready to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks absolutely is that God condescended in the form of a baby. That God was born of a virgin in a manger surrounded by animals in humility, lived sinlessly, was opposed by the religious and non-religious alike that was hung as a, a murderer of the state, or as an enemy of the state, that was murdered and suffocated and died, and that it was God's purpose to place our iniquity on him, that he did it without opening a word, opening his mouth. But the beauty for you and I is this, guys, that God did that, and he didn't use everything that looked really pretty, he didn't use the perfect people, that he used a long line of mess-ups, of people who sought evil, of prostitutes, of the fearful, of the deceivers, of the wicked, of the enslavers, of the murderers, that God used messed-up people. There are many gnarly knots in God's family tree. And here's what God says. From this line, I will bring you God with us. From this messed up history, I will give you Emmanuel. From the concern and the worry and the deception and the murder, I'm giving you hope. See, as we celebrate Christmas, it's not that Jesus came for the perfect. It's not that Jesus came for the sinless, from the cleaned up, or the perfectly loving. It's not that Jesus came for the ones who weren't skeptical, or concerned, or worried, or had agendas, or had fear. It's not that God didn't come for any of those people. It's that God was those things of being fearless, and sinless, and perfect in the place of those who weren't and never will be. And so, church, as we get ready to celebrate the Christmas season, as we consider the future of Jesus in this city, and as in a few weeks we will proclaim the birth of Jesus and the beauty of O Holy Night, I want you to pay attention that you have a place in the line and lineage of Jesus because everyone that was before you was just as messed up, if not more, than you were. And there's no place for people to say, I've done too much bad stuff, I I'm, I'm evil, God would never let me. No, let me tell you about some people in God's genealogy. One guy killed both of his brothers with a sword. If you haven't done that, I think you're okay. There's probably a place for you to love. Just a thought. Even if you've owned a brothel and been a prostitute, there's a seat at the table. So my question is, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting on the next thing? Are you waiting on a, a clear answer? Are you waiting for Jesus to show up in your bedroom one day? I'm like, hey, I've been waiting on you. 
Or can you take this season and consider that this just may be everything that you need? That Jesus didn't come for the perfect or for the sinless or for the cleaned up. He came for me and you. And that this is the opportunity to make this Christmas season different than anything you've ever experienced. And church, that is what will make this church different. That is what we will strive for. That is what we will pursue. That the Christmas season is spectacular because it's not about full carts in comparison to parents. It's about a God who chose to condescend down to us and will be born through the messiest circumstance so that you could have life. So that this that we have isn't the fullness of our hope. So that it gets better than people fighting over televisions because it's a really good price. And it gets better than broken marriages and drug addictions and fear and insecurity and anxiety and mental health problems, it gets better because the promise isn't here. The promise is with him. Church of Israel finally received the promise and it came through a line of sinners and saints, murderers and protectors, those who strive toward God and those who stray them away. So church, this season, I want to urge you not to fill up your hearts, not to compare goodness to the one next to you, but instead, by beginning to ask God what it is exactly that he's calling you to. Whether that's a step toward him, or a step to do something crazy, I can't answer that for you, but I promise if you ask God, honestly, he will. Christmas is coming. Not so we can have presents and have fun and sing fun songs, but because Jesus came first. Because we have the opportunity to give people a chance to receive the greatest gift ever given. And that is one of hope and comfort and peace and joy, security and love. Let's pray, Father, you're good. And I thank you for your gift and your sacrifice. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that you feel so encouraged by who God is and who he thinks and knows you are as well. If you have any questions about our church or our ministry, you can check us out at trailside.church. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have an incredible, incredible day.